Good morning, friends. So good to see you. My name is Ian. I'm the pastor. I have the joy of serving this church as we've started it over the last three years, and uh, it's been such a joy. And so for those of you who are new today, welcome. And whether you come in with a deep faith background and you sort of know the deal, like you walk into a room where a bunch of people are singing, and you're like, I understand what's happening here, or you walked in, you're like, what are these people doing? Welcome. Uh, I pray that you experience God's welcome here today that you know that the living God who made you, who loves you, is rejoicing over you today. And so we've, uh, we've been in a teaching series on the mission of God. And God's mission, as we've seen, is Him going ahead of us, pursuing the world, pursuing whole nations and populations, but also pursuing our hearts. And through this series, we've seen an invitation to personal mission. How do we partner with God? In his redemption of all things, we try to trace themes in the scriptures that show what God is about. And today, as we wrap up this teaching series, my prayer is that we are left with no doubts what God is about and what he's up to in the world. And we call this series Explosions of Joy, which if you're a fan of a 2000s post-rock band called Explosions in the Sky, you're like, yes, awesome, but nobody knows who that is. But Leslie Newbegin says that we often feel Jesus' call to mission, especially those who grew up in church, as this compulsion, as this thing that we are like, oh, we don't really want to do, but we have to do. But Leslie Newbegin flips that whole paradigm on its head, and he says, no, no, no. For the earliest disciples, telling people about Jesus and living the way of Jesus was a response to something that had happened, something that had transformed them. And so we want to put ourselves at that pace, in that cadence, saying, God, you've done something in the world. Help us to see it. Help us to grasp it and help us to live into it. And today, we arrive at sort of the final word that we have to say about this for the time being. And hopefully, it's not that we stop in any way being partnering with God in mission. We have a foundation from which to move. And in Genesis 16... In the super healthy family dynamics of some of the Genesis families, Abraham has been chosen by God. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, through you and through your family, I will bless all the nations of the earth. Through your children and your children's children and on and on, I will bless all the nations of the earth. But if you know a little bit about the Abraham story, you know there's one problem, right? God is promising something that in this moment is impossible. Abraham has no children. And not only does Abraham not have any children, Abraham is well beyond the years where that might be possible. And so is his wife, Sarah. And so God has made this promise. And friends, this is what God does. God's grace always involves a promise into the abyss of the impossible. And God says to Abraham, Abraham, go from your homeland, and I will make you a blessing. So Abraham's holding on to this promise, but time begins to accumulate. Nothing has changed for Abraham. They've been given this promise, but seen no evidence that God will be faithful to his promise. And, you know, maybe you can relate. There are times where we take things into our own hands. We say, God, I know you're, you're good. I know you have my best interests, but I really feel the need, the impulse for control. And we see this in Genesis chapter 16. You see Abraham and Sarah live in a very different culture from our own. 
Bronze Age culture, there were slaves involved. And again, none of this is an endorsement of the culture that was, okay, friends? But this is the culture that they lived in. And so in this culture, households often had slaves, and Abraham and Sarah have a slave named Hagar. And in this culture, it was not uncommon for men to have multiple wives or to have concubines. And so Abraham and Sarah know that they have this promise from God. They don't see how God is in any way fulfilling that promise. And so they take matters into their own hands. Sarah says to Abraham, here, take my slave and sleep with her and we'll have sort of a proxy child through her. Again, strange cultural dynamics, especially for us. But for them, it was something that was within the realm of possibility. And so Abraham, for whatever reason, just keeps responding passively. Sarah will come up with these ideas, and Abraham's like, okay. And so Abraham does this. Now, in this culture, a woman's honor, her sense of dignity, her sense of purpose in the world, again, a statement about this culture, not about the, uh, the quality of it, a woman's honor was tied up in her ability to have children. Remember, Sarah could have no children. But Abraham, upon sleeping with Hagar, Hagar conceives a child. And so Hagar sort of adopts this posture where she has more uh, social clout than Sarah does. And she starts to treat Sarah poorly. And Sarah does not like this. Not only is she ashamed by her inability to have children, but now this slave woman in her household is holding it over her head. And Sarah goes to Abraham again and says, this slave woman who you followed my advice and produced a child with is now treating me poorly. And Abraham again passively just says, she's your slave, do whatever you want with her. And so Sarah begins to treat Hagar harshly. She begins to make her life absolutely miserable. So much so that Hagar's only response is to run away in the middle of the night, to flee. And we pick this story up in Genesis 16 as Hagar is fleeing. The angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am running away from my mistress, Sarah. Now you have to understand, Hagar at this moment is one of the most vulnerable people in this world. Not only is she already vulnerable as a woman, now she is a a slave woman who is detached from her household. She has no protection in the world. And also she's pregnant and in the wilderness. I don't know about you, but I wouldn't survive in the wilderness. And here's this woman fleeing from her master running away with child, and she's going. But did you see what happened? Who was it that asked her the question? An angel of the Lord. This is an interesting thing that's happening in the scriptures. Because remember, who were the people that God told through whom he would bless the entire world? Abraham and Sarah. They are the main characters in this story. In many ways, Hagar, from our vantage point, could be seen as a minor character. And she's run off. So now, this whole little small plot that's been happening aside from the big plot, now it's had its time to run its course. But perhaps that's not the way that God sees things. Look at what he says in verse 9. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. This is an echo of the promise that was given to Abraham. 
In many ways, the same promise that was given to Abraham is offered to Hagar. Verse 11, the angel of the Lord said to her, now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. So, it says in verse 13, she, being Hagar, named the Lord who spoke to her. You are El Roy. For she said, have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? Hagar, fleeing from her master, is met by God in the wilderness. And here's what this is saying to us today, friends. There are no minor characters in the story of God's salvation. There are no minor characters in what God is doing in the world, even though from our vantage point, we could focus on the plot and just say, well, Abraham and Sarah are sort of the main actors in this story. Now God can focus his attention on them. That's not how God sees the world. God does not operate in the scarcity that we operate in. No, God goes to Hagar in the wilderness. Where are you going? And from where have you come? And notice Hagar responds. She says, you are El Roy, which is translated the God who sees the first person to name God in the Bible. The first person is not a person from the chosen family. It's not one of the people who interface with God constantly face to face. It is a slave woman. A person from the absolute margins is the first person to say this is who God is. And friends, today, I want you to see that God sees you. No matter what you experience in your life, no matter how you have felt shame, no matter how you felt pushed to the margins, God is the God who sees you. He is the God who not only sees you, he pursues you in the wilderness, in the barren place. God is going to you. And I also want you to see, friends, that just as God sees this woman from the very beginning of the story, God is a God who lives and dwells on the margins. God identifies his life with those whom we might consider minor characters. No, God has identified completely with them. He will not let them run off, run out of the story, out of the frame. God goes to them. And today, as we think about the mission of God, we are going to focus on this singular element. That God is a God of the vulnerable, of the oppressed, of the poor. That our collective mission as the church, as Ecclesia here in Princeton, is to be a people who go with our God to the margins. Who, like our God, see those whom our culture or our society have pushed to the outside and say, God sees you. And today, we're going to open the scriptures and to see that there are no minor characters in this story. Now, I have some friends here who I gave pieces of paper to, and they are very qualified uh, to do what they're about to do. I asked them a very specific question. I said, do you have any social anxiety about reading in front of people on a microphone? And all of these people told me no, and so I had to trust them. And so I'm gonna invite Alfredo up. Let me kind of frame how the next couple minutes are going to work. You know, I was compiling this teaching, and like, okay, God, what is your heart for the poor? And I just kept pasting these large sections of scripture into my Word doc. And I just felt like the Lord was saying, again, could have been nothing, could have been indigestion, could have been Jesus. But I felt like the Lord was just saying, just let my word 
speak for itself. And so over the next few moments, we are going to allow the word of God to be read over us. And I just want to invite you to consider, do you perhaps see a theme that arises in these texts? And so I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would be manifest and present here in a way that's unique. Alfredo's going to play just to kind of keep our hearts oriented in worship, because here's what I know, like when large, if I put a long quote up there or a Bible verse, you guys are like, cool, (laughs) I'll see you on the other side. It's like the scrolling that you do like on your phone. You're just like, all right, next paragraph. So let us orient our hearts towards what God might have to say to us today. And let us allow his heart for the poor and the marginalized to be presented to us. So these friends are going to read to us. Friends that have the paper, you have a reading that says reading number one, number two, so they are in order. You're welcome. Um, Please just, you can make your way up one at a time. And, And again, friends, there may be some names. I can't remember the specifics of each reading. If there's a name in there you don't know how to say, it's okay. Just say S or, you know, abbreviate it. It's not a problem. We are not here to adjudicate your reading level. So thank you for being willing to do that. You can come up to this microphone right here and read and take your time. You can adjust the mic. You can lean into it. We're not in a hurry. These friends are going to read for us these texts. And so let us allow the God uh, to be here. Holy Spirit, Lord, we, we ask imploringly, but also humbly that you would come. God, would you speak to us through your word? God, in a way that, yes, it often requires application. It often requires Uh, creative vantage points for us to really soak in it. But Lord, would you just speak to us through the power of your word? God, would you convict? Would you compel? God, would you comfort? God, would you confront even, Lord Jesus? Lord, we thank you for the words that you have spoken, the words of life, God. Would they fall on rich soil here today? Would you water them to bear fruit for the life of the world? We pray all these things in expectancy, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Exodus, oops. Exodus 3, verse 7 to 8. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land of good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land that I am giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in the field. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath, you, your male and female slaves, your hired and your bound laborers who live with you, for your livestock also, and for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall be for food. 
You shall count off seven weeks of seven years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives forty-nine years. Then you shall have the trumpet sounded loud. On the seventh day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement, you shall have the trumpet sounded throughout your, all of your land. And you shall hallow the fifteenth year. And you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return every one of you to your property and every one of you to your family. That fifteenth year shall be a jubilee for you. You shall not reap or sow the aftergrowth or harvest the unpruned vines, for it is a jubilee. It shall be holy to you. You shall eat only what the field itself produces. In this year of jubilee, you shall return, every one of you to your property. When you make a sale to your neighbor or buy from your neighbor, you shall not cheat one another. When you buy from your neighbor, you shall pay only for the number of years until the jubilee. The seller shall charge you only for the remaining crop years. If the years are more, you shall increase the price, and if the years are fewer, you shall diminish the price. For it is a certain number of harvests that are being sold to you. You shall not cheat one another, but you shall fear your God, for I am your Lord. You shall not deprive a resident alien or an orphan of justice. You shall not take a widow's garment in pledge. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field, and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to go get it. It shall be left for the alien, the orphan, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all your undertakings. When you beat your olive trees, do not strip what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. When, you're, when you gather the grapes of your vineyard, do not glean what is left. It shall be for the alien, the orphan, and the widow. Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I'm commanding you to do this. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you, this trampling of my courts? Stop bringing meaningless offerings. Your incense, your incense is detestable to me. New moons, Sabbaths, and convocations, I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feasts and your appointed festivals I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the, plead the case of the widow.
Is not this the fast that I, I choose, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house? When you see the naked, to cover them and not to hide yourself from your own kin. Then your light shall break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up quickly. Your vindicator shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you remove the yoke from among you, the pointing of your finger, the speaking of evil, if you offer your food to the hungry and satisfy the needs of the afflicted, then your light shall rise in the darkness and your gloom be like the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your needs in the parched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, whose waters never fail. Your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of the streets you live in. said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has surely looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Indeed, his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm, he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has come to the aid of his child Israel in remembrance of his mercy, according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Then he looked up at his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. This is from the Gospel according to Matthew, verse 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance. 
the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. They also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone because many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all the people. And day by day, the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. This is from James 1, 22 to 27. But be doers of the word, and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. For if any, of you, if any are hearers of the word, and not doers, they are like those who look at themselves in the mirror. For they look at themselves, and on going away, immediately forget what they were like. But those who look into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perceive and persevere, being not hearers who forget, but doers who act, they will be blessed in their doing. If any think they are religious and do not bridle their tongue, but deceive their hearts, their religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefined before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself untamed by the world. 
did you pick up on any themes? And, and friends, it's so important here, even as we hear harsh words of reprimand from, from the Spirit of God, from Jesus. That it's not Jesus trying to say, oh, like, if I could just shame you enough to get you to go out and share something that you have. Again, this is about joy. Jesus says that you would have my joy and that your joy would be complete. And here's what I suspect, and I I think I know this because I know so many of you. This is what we want. This is the kind of people that we want to be known for. It's like somebody asks you about your church, you're like, hey, it's just like great single origin coffee. Right? It's like niche branding. Nobody cares, right? But, but, friends, Christian or otherwise, when you say like, hey, we, we, we do everything we can with what we have to love our neighbors. I'm, let me tell you, like, over the course of the pandemic, uh, our church was affiliated with a local food pantry, and not a single person in that organization is a Christian. And, you know, during the, the pandemic, they shifted from doing distributions a couple uh, blocks down the street here to, to being a mobile food pantry, driving groceries to the doorsteps of neighbors in need. And I just want to tell you that people in this town, in this place, really, really care about this. And they may have different reasons for why they care about it the way that we do, but they were surprised that Christians were showing up in that space. And I was like, oh, I don't know what that says about the church, but we're going to show up. But here's what I know, friends. This is what we want. We want to be a people who gather in this room, who receive, who worship Jesus, who are formed by his words, who meet him at the table. And then we go out on mission with him collectively to be a people of the abundance of God, that when we place things in Jesus's hands, he blesses, he breaks, and he gives to the world. And it turns out that there's always enough. You know that story where Jesus and his disciples are off in the wilderness. Jesus has been teaching all day and they start to get worried. They say, Jesus, you got to send these people away. We don't have enough food for them. And if we don't do that now, they're going to be stuck in a place of hunger. And Jesus says, what do we have? And somebody chimes in, oh, we, we have some, some loaves of bread and some fish. You know, like when you say something, and you're like, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. That was stupid. But Jesus says, oh, that's interesting. Because in Jesus' hands, even our smallest offerings that are in no way enough become a means of blessing where he gathers up the fragments. There's so much more than we could imagine. And friends, I simply today, as we conclude our series on the mission of God, just want to stoke the fires of your imagination. I also want to stoke your conviction that that we as a church, as we are being formed as a people, would never walk away from this call. That we would never walk away from this value. You know, Dallas Willard, when he talked about the the spiritual formation movement, of which he was a primary part, he was one of the uh, leading voices in this conversation about rhythms and practices of walking with Jesus, that we have to cultivate a life with Jesus. He said, my one fear about the spiritual formation movement is that people would become insular and self-centered because they're so worried about their own spiritual nourishing that they forget the nourishing of the world. When 
this church was starting to meet weekly. My wife, uh, Courtney, she, she put me on to this uh, version of Luke 14 that I found so compelling and so beautiful. It's uh, Eugene Peterson's uh, transliteration in the message. And he writes in Luke 14, beginning at verse 12. Then Jesus turned to the host and he said to him, the next time you put on a dinner, don't just invite your friends and family and rich neighbors, the kind of people who will return the favor. Invite some people who never get invited out. The misfits from the wrong side of the tracks, you'll be and experience a blessing. They won't be able to return the favor, but the favor will be returned. Oh, how it will be returned at the resurrection of God's people. And friends, look at the joy that's brimming in this text. Again, this is not obligation. This is not Jesus saying, how can I guilt these people finally to do something? He's saying, this is the joy that awaits you. You can't even imagine. And oh, the favor will be returned. The sign of God's kingdom that Jesus routinely invokes throughout his life, the sign that causes him all sort of conflict is the table who Jesus eats with, and the sign of the resurrection, the glimpse into God's sure and certain future that is brought into our present right now is the table. The misfits with all the wrong people from the wrong side of the tracks. And I suspect that we want to be this kind of people. And I don't want to pastor any other kind of church. So the question I've been asking is like, what kind of church would I want to close down? Like, what kind of church would I want to be the leader of that just kind of ran out of money? Because we kept doing things that were just responding to needs in our area. What kind of people do we want to be? And friends, I got to tell you, I've been doing like fundraising and like, like startup energy for a couple years. Like there is a real preservation energy that comes with that. It's like, okay, we finally have $100 in the bank. This is fun. But now that's not who we are. And so the question becomes, are we going to be a people who try to preserve and protect? Or are we going to be a people who trust that when we extend ourselves, when we go to the places that Jesus is already there, that we find that his abundance meets us there too. And that in his hands, the, the things that we place there are blessed and broken and given. You see, Jesus, by his death, his life, his resurrection, doesn't just remove the stain of shame from our lives. He does that. Amen. Thank you. By his blood, we are set free. He doesn't just secure an eternal future for our souls. He does that. He does that. And, and that, that sold future turns out to be a city that's coming down from heaven to earth where there will be no more tears, no more weeping, no more mourning, no more hunger, no more loss, no more war, no more famine because he has won a victory that is sure and certain. It doesn't just do those things. It does those things and more but it nourishes our bodies. This very same kind of body that Jesus honored when he took on human flesh, walking our world. And I suspect that we want to see children with access to education. I suspect that we want to see kids in this neighborhood right here who are often left alone with knowing that they have somebody who cares for them. I suspect that we want to tackle and, and confront the food insecurity that is not a problem out there, but is really right outside our doors. I suspect that's the kind of people we want to be. And I suspect that we can't even begin to imagine the gifts and the treasures that await in that place. Because what we'll find is that we're not the ones who have everything to offer. We began this series with a quote from Rene Padilla about mission. 
And he says, integral mission understands that its goal is not to become large numerically, nor to be rich materially, nor powerful politically. Its purpose is to incarnate the values of the kingdom of God and to witness to the love and justice revealed in Jesus Christ by the power of the Spirit for the transformation of human life. Don't miss this in all its dimensions. Did you see the values of the kingdom of God as we read God's word? Did you see how he values those who, again, our culture often has no use for, often pushes to the outside, who often flee in exile, in wondering, God is going to them just as he did to Hagar. And Ecclesia, I invite you to be a people with the imagination big enough to trust God. Isaiah 55 says, hey there, all who are thirsty, come to the water. Are you penniless? Come anyway. Buy and eat. Come buy your drinks, buy wine and milk, buy without money. Everything's free. And friends, what if God means what he says? What if that's not just a spiritual idea, but it is in fact our call to live on mission with him? Let's try it. Let's see what happens. We come each week to this table. It is the embodiment of that Isaiah text.